0: As we get into the message for today, we are in a series uh, on entitled Values of the Cross. Values of the Cross. Today is the fourth installment of that, and I'm going to be looking at another one of our church values. I'm going to turn your attention, though, first of all, to our text for today, and if you have the app, like I said, you can follow along in there. Can, by clicking on the notes icon, or you can follow along on the screen. Reading Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 43, this is the New King James. says this, Then those who gladly received his word, that is the word of Peter, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 added to the 120 that had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Today I'm going to talk about our value of apostolic doctrine and lifestyle. This will not be inclusive of everything that it means to to follow apostolic doctrine or lifestyle, but I'm going to use these verses here as the the primary point of emphasis as I draw various things from that. So apostolic doctrine and lifestyle. Now, I am not very good at working uh, with wood. I'm not a carpenter by any stretch of the imagination, but when I was 12 years old, uh, my dad, who was in full time ministry, did some bivocational stuff. Worked for a carpenter for a while, and and we decided he decided to build a house. And he had this this carpenter that he worked with. His crew came out and they framed up the house. And then at the age of twelve, I got to experience uh, using power tools and beginning to work on building a house and helping my dad and various things. And I was probably more of a hindrance than a help. My older brother who was 15 at the time, was was probably a little better at that, but but one of the things I learned during that time was about how to cut wood. Now, I, I'm still not an expert, but but I learned quickly by making a mistake that what you don't want to do is to measure a board and cut that board and then Take that newly cut board and use it to measure the next one, and then you take that newly cut board, and then you use it to measure the next one, and then you keep doing it. And, and by the time you're done, you could be an inch or two inches off of where you started from. Because what I what I figured, and I and I still struggle with this today. Which side of the mark do I cut on? I can draw a line, and I I can get my straight edge, and I can put the but do I take the saw and do I cut on the left or the right or directly in the middle? And the reality is it, it probably varies from piece to piece. And, and if you take a piece of wood and you cut it and then you use it to cut the next one and then you keep using subsequent pieces to mark, you will eventually be off. And so what you do is you cut the first piece and you use that always as the guide to mark all of the other pieces. That way you don't get off more than at least a pencil width. So I learned that. Now John is here. He's a woodworker. He's probably going, ah, you still don't even know how to do that. But And, and that may be true, but, but I learned a little bit and it's helped me over the years. And the benefit is you use the original as much as possible. We have a, a Bible that is unchanging. We have a word from God that has not changed over the centuries. It is the original that we are to go back to and that that everything that we do as a church, we should go back to the Scripture and find out what God wants us to do because that is, in essence, the pattern that we are to follow. It's not, well, this last generation, they did X, Y, Z, so we'll do X, Y, Z, and then we'll start over and do X, Y, Z, and A. No, you go back to the original. You don't just change over time and go, well, we're better than they were, so we're good. No, you have to go back to the original. The reality is that not only does the Bible not change, but the commands of Jesus haven't changed. The the expectations that Jesus has for his church or he has for us as individuals has not changed. What has changed in the 2,000 years or nearly 2,000 years that that Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven is people's obedience and commitment to truth and the Scripture. That has changed. But the scripture hasn't changed, and those expectations have not changed. And so I would tell you that what God has done is he has given us an apostolic pattern, and we need to follow that example of the apostles and the prophets, and we should operate as a church like they did. We should believe what they believed. We should be what they were. And so it is to that end that I read to you Acts two forty one through 43. It is immediately after the initial birth of the church. In Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, 120 people were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were, they were filled with the presence and power of God, evidence and speaking in other tongues. And from that, Peter then was, was approached as they were dancing around and acting like they were drunk. And he preached a message And he preached to them Jesus, and he preached this message that they then decided to believe and follow. So I I want to look at six things, and I'm going to try to do each of these fairly quick. And if, if time runs out, then we'll put it off till the rest of it till next week. But the first thing that we see, the first response, or the first way in which we can follow this apostolic pattern is found in verse 41. It says this Then those who gladly received his word, Were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That the first response of faith, that initial response of faith, was that people who believe in Jesus and people who believe the message of Jesus were baptized in water, in Jesus' name. It is what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And just four verses later, he is now saying 3,000 people received that message and were baptized as a response to it. It is the initial response, and that initial response of baptism That initial response to faith of baptism is part of the apostles' doctrine. It is part of their practice. It is what they did. In fact, Jesus and I did this about three weeks ago, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And the first thing he says, the way to make disciples is to baptize them. It is that initial response of faith of baptism. And so I would tell you, if you haven't been baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ, that you need to do that. It is the pattern of the book of Acts. It is the pattern of the apostles. Acts chapter 8, when Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches the word of God to them, the Bible says they believed and were baptized that everybody that believed in Jesus, everybody that believed the message about Jesus Christ were baptized in the name of Jesus. Understanding that baptism, the word baptism has a meaning, and it's not just anything involving water. It's not drinking water. It's not throwing water on somebody. It's not, it's not shoving them into a pool even. But baptism means to be immersed or submerged in water, to be fully covered in water, symbolic of the burial of Jesus Christ. And you do that in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 10, as soon as Cornelius and his household receive the Spirit of God, Peter's first response is, What doth hinder them to be baptized? It's the initial thing that you do. It's when you have faith and your faith is demonstrated, you get baptized. It is part of the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. They, they've been arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now that they're, they're thrown in prison, and the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas sang and praised God. And an earthquake comes and shakes the jail, and their, their bonds, are, their, the chains fall off, but they don't run out because they're not there to escape. And the, the jailer, he, th- he sees that the doors are all open, and he's like, any prisoner would escape. Anybody that could get out of this mess would. And so he's getting ready to kill himself, and Paul said, hey, don't do that. We're still here. And because they were still there, he's like, something's going on. Something's different about you. Why didn't you run? Why didn't you escape? And so Paul preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And in the middle of the night, the Bible says, they go and find water and get baptized. He and his household. It's that initial response of faith. It's what you do when you believe in Jesus. When you decide to follow Jesus, the first way in which you follow him is to be Follow him in burial of baptism. And so you get baptized in water. Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus and he finds some people that he thinks are Christians. And, and I love this passage. In fact, I love all the passages, but, but, but I, I love this one for a different reason because Paul sees people that he thinks are Christians. And he comes up to them and he says to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and of course, in various versions, King James says, Did you receive the Spirit since you believed? But it's probably better translated, Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And and what I tell people is this, when, when I go through this passage, i was like, this is a really, really dumb question. If it's automatic that the moment you believe in Jesus, you're just filled with the Spirit. Why would he ask the question? He would just ask, did you believe, or are you a believer? Yep. All right, well, there's no need to ask any other questions because if you're automatically, if you're a believer and you automatically are filled with the Spirit, it's a dumb question. And, and it, would be like, it would be like me asking this question, if, if I threw you in a pool full of water, did you get wet? Well, the obvious answer is yes, you will get wet. And if I throw you in the water, you're going to get wet. In fact, when you leave here today, it may be raining. And if you're standing out in the rain, guess what? You're going to get wet. But what the answer to the question when he asked this is he assumes that they are Christians. And so he asked, when you believe, did you receive the spirit? And they go, man, we didn't even know there was any spirit. What, what are you talking about? Which means it's not a dumb question. It's a real question, which means it's not an automatic process. And And then his next question is also informative when he says, well, How then were you baptized? Because he assumes that if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? You you got baptized. You should have received the spirit, but I don't know if you did that. So I'm asking that one. Did you receive it? Well, no, you didn't didn't receive the spirit. Well, then how, how were you baptized? It's not a question of did you get baptized? It's like if you're a follower of Jesus, it's just what you do. And they said, well, we were baptized unto John's baptism. And, and Paul says, well, well, that's cool, but that was just a baptism of repentance. He says, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So he rebaptizes them by immersion in the name of Jesus, and when he does, he lays hands on them. And they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues. And The Bible says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. But but the point is not not the, the speaking in tongues, and the point is not being filled with the Spirit. But my point is this from the context of our text today, is that baptism is the initial response of faith. And if you really believe in Jesus, you will get baptized. And in fact, you will not delay your obedience and your following Jesus in that manner. That's why the, the Philippian jailer, he did it in the middle of the night. It's 2 or 3 in the morning. He doesn't wait until the next day or two days later or, or two weeks later. He's like, no, get water. Let's find some water, and let's do this now. Baptism is the initial response of faith. The second element of what they were doing is this. They were continual following of the apostles' teaching. Continually they followed what the apostles had said. Verse 42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the word doctrine, you see that on the screen here, and, and if you've been around church a long time, you, you already know what that means, but it simply just means teaching. But the word doctrine is a nice theological word that just means teaching. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. That's what they were doing. And and so what is it then that they were teaching and preaching? That's really the question. And and one of the things I would tell you that they were preaching and teaching is the need for baptism as we just looked at. But, But I want to go back to this idea of the original and this idea of a pattern. And explain a little more in depth that it's not just, well, we'll just kind of keep developing this over time, that, that you know, in 10 years from now, we might have a different message. We'll keep adding to it. I mean, anybody, if you start a project, most of the time you start a project, at least when I start a project, whether it's, it's a, I'm rebuilding a fence right now in uh, my backyard and... I laid out me. I need this many. Bo- I need all these boards, and so I got all the two by fours I needed. But guess what? I was short because I had to I had to cut something else I wasn't anticipating. So I had to go back to the store. And, well, I got to add another board to it, and then then I get to where the gate is, and I'm like, man, I can't. I got to have another board here, and then I got to have another board. It's always evolving. That I never lay it all out just right at the beginning. It's evolving. But I would tell you, it's not like that with the Bible, and it's not that way with the apostolic teaching. Is that they, it doesn't change over time. It's not like in Acts 2 they believed one thing and by the end of Acts they believed something else and they've added a bunch of stuff to it. No, there is an original. And what the Bible would tell us over and over again is that we are to follow the original. We're to follow the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. Jude, verse 3, there's no chapters in Jude, but verse 3 says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent, To write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What Jude says is this, I wanted to talk about something else. I wanted to kind of pump you up, but guess what? I I found it necessary to tell you that the apostles doctrine and the teaching or the faith, this body of beliefs hasn't changed. It was once for all delivered. It's not different in 2020 than it was in 33 A.D. It's not different now in 2020 than it was in uh, 1,000 A.D. It's the same message that should have been preached and was preached in the Bible and should have been preached all of these centuries. It doesn't change. It was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.3, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Nothing else. Just what I have taught you, just the doctrine that I presented, they teach no other doctrine. And you look at that, and, and because I told you doctrine means teaching, and so it's a little bit redundant, but they teach no other teaching. What we taught you, that's the only thing that they should be teaching. And if they're teaching anything else, Paul would other places say ignore them. They're they're in in danger of damnation if they're preaching any other gospel than what we have preached. 2 Timothy 3.10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my teaching, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my my long-suffering, my love and my perseverance. He says, you have followed what I have told you. And that's what you should do. You should continue to follow that. 2 John 9 and 11, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine or this teaching, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares his evil deeds. That's pretty strong language that John writes. John, who had been with Jesus, John, who says, if, if they come and they preach anything else, their deeds are evil. And if you take him in and if you have fellowship with him, if you have relation or friendship with the, these people that are teaching another doctrine, he says, you share in his evil deeds. It's important that we stick with the original pattern, that we stick with the apostles' teaching and the apostles' doctrine. It is what we are called to do. Is to follow what Jesus originally gave and was fleshed out by the apostles. It doesn't change in 2020. It doesn't change because some preacher says it changed. It doesn't change because some church organization says it changed. It only goes back to the original, and we are to continue in that. I'll skip the next verse. That I was going to talk about, but the third thing that we are to do is to continual have continual fellowship with believers, verse 20 or 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship. The word for fellowship here, you may have heard it, it is the Greek word koinonia, and aren't you glad that you can come to church and you can learn some new words? Koinonia, say, look at your neighbor and say koinonia. And what koinonia means is really this, it is an ongoing partnership. It is not just fellowship like we're having a good time and we're hanging out and we're good friends. That's, that's great, and that's really part of the next point that I'm going to make. But koinonia is different. It is a partnership. And specifically, it is a partnership in the gospel. And, and what that means is that the apostles are fulfilling the great commission. They're out to make disciples. And that the people who are saved are now in partnership with these, this, these apostles in spreading the word about Jesus Christ and in fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. They had continual fellowship with other believers that they're doing these things together. They are working together for a common purpose. In fact, I looked at that in the last couple of weeks, but it's this commonality. It's this partnering together. It's that we're all doing the same. We have the same mission we're going forward in spreading the gospel. and They continued in doing that to partner with people. And, and I would tell you this, that as I, I preached last week, and if you were watching online because we were online only, but about this community, there is a community aspect, but it's a community that has this common goal and this common bond. It's not just that we, we're good friends and we hang out and all that's great, but we are doing something together. And that's what the church is all about. It's about having a body of believers who are gathered together to reach the world, to reach uh, unbelievers with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we should all be on the same page and on the same purpose, on the same mission, reaching people in partnership together. And I would tell you this, and I and I've preached from Ephesians 4, it's not my job alone to find unbelievers and, and evangelize them. My job as pastor is to equip you to do the work of ministry, which means we're in a partnership. I, I, it's, but it's also, it's not, I'm just going to teach you, government, here's how you win people, now you go do it. No, I win people, I reach people, but you reach people and you win people to Jesus Christ and you make disciples and I make disciples. We're in a partnership, but beyond that partnership of a body and we're not even, the church is not all here today, but beyond that partnership, it's a partnership with Jesus Christ that we are in fellowship with him. We are fulfilling his mission as he works through us to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have... Baptism as the initial response of faith, a continual following of the apostles' teaching, continual fellowship with believers, and fourthly, a continual breaking of bread. In verse 42, we see that as the second to the last thing they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Now, there are a number of opinions as to whether this is a, a euphemism or another way of saying that they took communion together or the Lord's Supper. And, and there is no doubt that that was part of their worship. That is no doubt that that is part of what they were doing in the early church. And we will be taking communion together as a body sometime in the next couple of months. There are traditions where they do that every time they meet, whether and there are various denominations and, and religious beliefs that every time you get together or every service you do it, And and that's perfectly fine, but I, I don't really think that this is totally what this is speaking of. I think it may be part of it, but it's also about this idea that I talked about last week of community that we actually get along and we help one another, we like one another, and we want to be around one another, that we are a family. A church is a family, and so we're eating together and we're fellowshipping together. And if you want to do something with me, man, invite me to a meal. I am all about meals. I gotta, t- and that, that's problematic. I, I I get that. But what I have found, and I, I don't, and I think this probably holds true all the way back to Bible days, because of the next point I'm going to make. But what I have found is that if you eat together, it creates a bond. It creates a a certain level of community, instead of just sitting looking at somebody that you're trying to get to know and you're talking and you're trying to ask questions, there's something about food and eating together that breaks down barriers and breaks down walls and, and enables you to grow closer together. And, and in the Bible days, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, it didn't really matter. All throughout the Bible, you did not eat with people that you did not agree with. That if, if somebody is a pagan, a pagan, and a godly person wouldn't go and have a meal with them. Because there was something about a meal that said that you agreed with them. You're in a friendship. You have this relationship with somebody, which is why when Jesus is eating with publicans and sinners, man, the, the, the Pharisees are, I shouldn't say freaking out, but that was the only thing that came to mind. They're—they're they're like they're, they're having trouble with it because he's eating with these sinners. Doesn't he know they're sinners? You shouldn't do that. And Jesus said, I'm breaking down these barriers. I'm going to go and eat with them. I don't agree with their sin, but these are the people I've come to reach. And so in order to reach them, I'm going to sit down and have communion with them and fellowship with them and communion, not as in the Lord's Supper, but relationship. And what we're called to as believers is to be in this family, this body, and to have relationship or communion one with another and fellowship It's not that partnership, but it's about this relationship and this authentic community. And they were continually breaking bread. Number five, they were continually in prayer. It's the last part of verse 42. And and I think that in speaking of prayer, and, and whenever you, if I could take a moment just to maybe throw out a Bible study methodology. You have to always look at the Bible in the light of who it was written to and who it was written by. And so these are Jewish people. They they are all Jews. That Peter, who's preaching, he's a Jew. And, and Luke, who actually is the one who writes this, he's, he's not actually a Jew, but he's writing this to a, a primarily, in that context, a Jewish audience. And when he says they were in prayers, he's talking about the Jewish church. And so... There is an element of which this is probably they are all participating in Jewish prayers together that there are certain prayers and certain ways of doing things that they are doing together, but it's not just that it's not just the application of well, we got to pray these Jewish prayers, no, they were continually in prayer and such and so should we be in continual prayer that we should not only have come together like this on once a week on a Sunday and, well, we're going to have prayer today and we're going to pray for this person or that person. No, there is a corporate methodology to prayer, but there's also an individual component of prayer that we should be praying every day, that daily we should be in and talking to the Lord in communion and in fellowship with the Lord as we talk to him and we take our needs to him and we ask him to bless our day and to give us strength and to lead and to guide us. There is an individual element of that. There is a corporate element of that, as I've mentioned, and I, I want to just throw this out there. I think there is another element of that, and that is spontaneous prayer as well, that it should not always just be that, well, this is my prayer time, so I pray. I'm going to get up early, or I pray before I go to bed, or I, I pray every time I eat, and I need more prayer time, so I need to eat more often, or whatever that happens to be. It's It's got to be more than just this is when I pray, but there are times when we come into situations and we're like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And it's a spontaneous moment of prayer, and it's not always just praying for us, but sometimes it's praying for others. I was with a friend of mine uh, on Friday, and he's been struggling with a cough. He's gotten COVID tests. He doesn't have COVID, but he's, he's been coughing for over a month now, and he's getting ready to get some antibiotics, and I was... Getting ready to do what I've done for years, and, and, and I don't always uh, just sometimes you fall back into those old patterns. Like, hey, I'll be praying for you. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Let's just pray right now. Spontaneous prayer like this is, do you have, you have a need right now? Let's pray right at this moment. It should be continual prayer all the time, not just our scheduled moments, not just corporately coming together, but continual prayer. And lastly, there should be the ongoing presence of miracles, signs, and wonders. Verse 43 says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This word fear should really be more aptly translated awe or this reverence of God, that that when the people saw miracles, when they saw God doing the miraculous, they were in awe. They were in reverence of God because of what he was doing. They, they, it's not that you should be afraid because God is doing miracles. No, but you should be in awe of that. And there is with awe comes a certain fear that if God can do this, man, I, He's got all power. That means he, he knows what I'm doing. He has all knowledge. He, I guess I should walk the straight and narrow. I should live for Him a better way. There is an element of that, but, but mostly it's about this awe or this reverence of God. And the, the, the wonders and signs that are spoken of here, they are attesting supernatural acts of God. And what I mean by that is this, is that when the word is preached, when, when the message of Jesus Christ was preached then, that that Jesus Christ came to save sinners or Jesus Christ is a healer or Jesus Christ is a deliverer. When they would preach the message about Jesus Christ, miracles would take place and accompany the preaching of the word of God. That if you preach that God is a healer, guess what? You should expect somebody to be healed. You should expect God to do the miraculous and reach down and touch somebody and bring healing. That if you believe and preach that God is a healer, then when you preach about that or when you tell him that he is a deliverer, that you should expect that somebody to be delivered from whatever it is, whatever addiction or whatever is binding them, you should expect deliverance from that. That's what took place in the book of Acts and, the, and in the Gospels. Everywhere Jesus went, people were healed. And the, every, there were a number of places that he would go, and the Bible says he healed them all. Not just two or three, not just 50%, but he healed them all. That everybody who had a sickness, he would heal them. And in the book of Acts, everywhere they went, signs, the Bible says, followed. And that miracles and signs were taking place everywhere that they went. It is the pattern of the Gospels and Acts. It should be our pattern today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he was doing it then, he should be doing it now. And I would tell you this. It should happen often. And and I realize sometimes people say, well, you know, it's supernatural. It's beyond the normal. It shouldn't be the normal. Well, if I read the the Gospels and if I read the book of Acts, it should be normal for a child of God to see the miraculous over and over, that it should happen often. And the way in which and the reason that it can happen often is this. There are three requirements to a miracle one is you have to have the presence of a need. If you don't have a need, guess what? You don't need a miracle. If you're not sick, you don't need healing. If you're not broke, you may not need provision. If you're not bound by addiction, you may not need deliverance. So you have to have a need, you don't get it. People want people want miracles. They just don't want to get they don't want to be sick to get it. They want They want to see God do great things. It's like the people that want to go to heaven, they just don't want to die to get there. But you have to have a need. But beyond having a need, you have to have a sovereign God who is choosing to work and to meet that need. That God who is sovereign decides if and when and how he will perform the miraculous, we don't get to determine that. We don't get to decide if God's going to heal. We're just going to have faith that he does, which is the last element, and that is we have to have a petition of faith. And if somebody needs healing, guess what? I'm going to go to God. There's a need. I'm going to have faith. The person's going to have faith, and we're going to trust that the sovereign God is going to bring healing. If he chooses not to, that's up to him. But I'm going to do it as though he's going to do it. I'm going to pray as though he's going to perform the miraculous. I'm going to pray as though he's going to do healing and deliverance and provision in whatever the situation is. Miracles should be ongoing in the life of the church. It is the pattern of the apostles and prophets. It is the pattern of the book of Acts. It is what God has called us to. It is the original. So as I close, I'll list those six things again. The elements that you need of the apostles' doctrine and lifestyle is this. Baptism is the initial response of faith. There is the continual following of apostolic teaching, continual fellowship with believers, continual breaking of bread, continual prayer, and the ongoing presence of miracles, signs, and wonders. The gospel has not changed. It is still the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is still the good news. That is still what God wants to do in the world. He is still looking to save sinners. He is looking for people to come into relationship with him. It hasn't changed, and the way in which we respond to that has not changed. If you're here today and you're not a, fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, I would tell you that the way you follow Him is through repentance, symbolic of His death. It is through baptism in Jesus' name by immersion, which is symbolic of His burial. And it is through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, symbolic of His resurrection. There is only one pattern. It's not open for debate, really. It's laid out in the Scripture. It's pretty clear. So my call to action today is this, that if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus, you need to make the decision to do so. You need to make the decision to follow Jesus in baptism. Baptism. And what I would tell you is God does, he works in all manner of different ways. We see in the book of Acts that some people are are baptized then they're filled with the Spirit and then other people they're filled with the Spirit as in Cornelius' household and then they're baptized. The reality is that both of them have to be done. Both of them are part of the new birth. And maybe if you're seeking god and you haven't experienced him fully like you want to then you haven't been baptized that taking that next step of baptism will put you in a position of obedience that will allow god to work in you like you desire secondly though i i want you to commit to learning and following the apostles teaching what is it that they were doing And I didn't get into all of this. I'm just looking at that one little passage and pulling six principles out of of things that the early church did. And one element of that is the apostles' doctrine. But maintain fellowship with the local church. I will tell you, I have been amazed over and over again and maybe dismayed is the, the better word. I was primarily in parachurch ministry, which means I was doing things that were not necessarily in a local church but related to that through Bible college and through denominational publishing. And so maybe I was a little uninformed, but when I arrived here in Olathe, I was. Dismayed, I guess, over and over as I would hear leaders of other churches talk about how little their members actually went to church. One particular church, they told me it's a, it's a mega church here in the area. They might have 2,000 on any given weekend, so that puts them in the mega church status, but they had significantly more members than that. And they told me that they're good members average one and a half times a month or 18 Sundays a year that they show up for church. And I've heard story after story like that and what I would tell you is that's not the pattern of the early church. At minimum it was weekly but in many cases it was daily where they're gathering together with a body of believers and they're They're doing the things of God. They're studying the scripture. They're breaking bread. They're having fellowship and partnering in the gospel. Maintain fellowship with the local church. Number four, maintain community. It's not just coming to church, but it should be a community. It should be a family. And I realize, I don't know that if I said this last week, maybe I did. I realize not everybody is on equal footing. If you don't like sports, and I do, then we probably can't talk about sports. And so we have something less in common. If you're into hunting and fishing, I know enough that I could probably talk a little bit about it, but it's not, it's not the top of my list of things to do. And so sometimes you just don't always have the same kind of connection with everybody. But you should have somebody in the, the local church that you're in this ongoing community with that you're spending time with, that you're connecting to the body of Christ. We are not an island. We can't survive on our own. It's like Paul said over and over that we're members of the body, but we have to be connected. You cut off a finger, guess what? It's, it's going to die unless you get it reattached really quickly. So we have to stay connected. Next, I would tell you, is that we should pray without ceasing as 1 Thessalonians five seventeen says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we never stop. And we're just constantly praying and we can't have a conversation because we got to pray. No, but that means we, we never cease to pray. That there's not a day goes by when we're not spending time with God and spending time talking to Him in prayer. And lastly, I would tell you this, that we should expect to see and experience the miraculous. We've already seen God at work and various ways in Cross Church and I could tell you story after story of God performing the miraculous around our city or or in other places and other times and people I've prayed for and people that have prayed for me. But we should expect to see that in an ongoing way. That it shouldn't just be once ever two or three months but it should be an ongoing thing that anytime we need a miracle we can expect God to do it. Would you stand together with me? And I know that you can hear the rain outside and it's coming down so hard you don't even want to leave because you're going to get really wet. Maybe we could even... I won't hold you. But I do want you to lift your hands right now. Would you lift your voice? And would you talk to God? And would you ask Him to help you to to live out these things that we've talked about today it's not enough just to know them but we need to live them father i pray that you would work in us lord i pray that you would touch every heart lord anyone here in the sound of my voice or watching online that hasn't been baptized i pray lord that you would speak to them that they would desire to follow you in baptism but not just in anything called baptism but the what your word calls baptism which is in the name of Jesus, fully immersed in water, that they would seek and follow you in that. Lord, I pray that you would help them to commit to learning and following the apostles' teaching. Help me to continue to learn and to develop and know everything that your word says so that I can teach and train and instruct others. Lord, I pray that you help us to maintain fellowship with the local church that it would be not just an occasional thing, but that our lives would revolve around you and around your people and being in community and in relationship. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to be people of prayer at all times, that we would pray without ceasing, or that we wouldn't just pray at church or over meals, or now I lay me down to sleep prayers. Lord, and all of those are good, but help us to be people that are in relationship with you, that are talking with you, that are inviting you, into everything that we experience and everything that we face. And Lord, let part of that, inviting you in, let it be to expect and to see the miraculous. You are the God of miracles. You are the God who does more than we can even ask or think. You are the God who intervenes in our lives. You are the God who has all power. You are the God who has all knowledge, all wisdom. And Lord, I pray that you would perform the miraculous in us. We thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus, we have a portable baptistry that I can have ready next week. And I, I will just go out on a limb and say this. It's not really a limb. I'm going out on Scripture. <laughs> yes. It is not an option. It's not just, well, I, yeah, it's good. There are a lot of religious teachings and, relig- and churches of various denominations that would tell you that, yeah, if you want to be baptized, that's great. If you don't want to be baptized, that's great. But I would tell you, if nothing else, it is a matter of obedience, of us following Jesus Christ. And I will appeal back to Matthew 28, 19 and say this, that Jesus said, Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Which means, if you're not baptized, that's the first thing he said, He doesn't go and make people who just kind of believe in me. He says, go and make disciples. And how do you do that? You baptize them. You need to follow Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. So if you haven't done that, I'd love to talk with you about it more. If you go on this weekend or the message on on the app, you can click at the bottom of that. Click on that tab. And at the bottom of that, it has a link to the website that has a little more information about baptism. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You might want to put your mask on and fellowship for a little bit while you wait on the rain to calm down because it is coming down hard. God bless you. Hopefully we'll see you on Thursday night at 7 o'clock for Foundation 101. Be blessed.